exclusive podcast from Impact 89 FM. Massive wireless system. It'll penetrate concrete buildings. It'll allow, uh, you know, the average person, if they wanted to watch a movie and stream it, they can. Or an architect could send massive digital files of, uh, you know, the, the, the plans of an entire building, which, you know, normally you had to use other technologies and you couldn't use the Internet for something like that. You'd have to use FTP technology. But um, th this system that's being uh, tested in Lansing right now is uh, it's going to put Lansing on the technology map. And, uh, I mean, Kevin can... You know, certainly Kevin can uh, jump in and tell us a lot more. Yeah, we deployed uh, about a mile and a half squared in uh, downtown Lansing, uh, pretty much from the Capitol building uh, east over to uh, uh, Cedar, and we are uh, we put it in the downtown area initially, just kind of because that was the toughest area to mm. get uh, wireless up. Um, it is standard space technology, so people can use their conventional laptop cards. It's backwards compatible with the uh, older Wi-Fi technologies, but it also uses a, a new type of uh, Wi-Fi signaling uh, use called MIMO, which stands for multiple in and multiple out antennas. And these, uh, it's part of the draft end standard of the Wi-Fi. Um, and so the speeds that we're getting are far better than what um, conventional equipment out there currently has. Um, so it's pretty interesting stuff. So now, for for the tech heads that are listening, what what sort of speeds could they be looking at? Well, we've been uh, we've we've provided about twenty megabit of bandwidth to each uh, unit, which is a pretty substantial amount. Um, we're seeing speeds in the range of seven to ten megabits, uh, even you know significant distances, quarter mile away uh, from from the access point. And there's numerous access points deployed down there, so uh, the uh, the speeds are surpassing cable modems. Most people are getting seven to ten in that range, wow. uh, and so uh, it is. Uh, our our goal, and it was to make enough overlap of the of the various access points. So if one went, unit went down, or if you're not getting as strong a signal uh, from one unit, you would be able to. It would automatically push you over to an adjacent unit. And part of the reason we deployed the technology was to test. Uh, Voice over internet type phones. Uh, a lot of the new phone technology that's coming out, uh, especially this is already pretty common in Europe. For example, like the iPhone, the new uh, Apple uh, iPhone also has Wi Fi access to it. And so what happens is if you hit a Wi Fi network, your browsing or web downloading can occur across that Wi Fi network as opposed to going over the conventional cell phone network. So a lot of the phone companies are interested in deploying this type of technology as a alternate backhaul mechanism for new high-speed uh, mobile phones and, and uh, uh, small computer-like devices. And so a lot of the testing we've done has been to do uh, hopping between the units mm. and make it make sure that that can occur with VoIP as well as uh, uh, browsing and, and downloading with no loss of, of packets and latencies. So if I'm going through East Lansing, which has got a terrible wireless system right now, and I've got my iPhone. <laughs> I mean, let's, no, be, let's be real. I live fair. here. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's god-awful. Yeah, or not, It's non-existent is what that wireless system is. So I've, I'm using that system, yep. so kind of, and I'm on, my, I, I'm on my iPhone, and so I'd be, I'd be making a cell phone pretty much in East Lansing, but as I drive into, uh, into East Lansing, but as I drive into Lansing where your system is, my iPhone, in theory, it would flip over to my call would be going over the internet. Uh, initially, the the uh, the only place that the iPhone is operational on is on the uh, AT and T network. Okay. And so the new uh, 
part of the new requirements that the FCC is promulgating is to require your cell phone to be portable. It can now go to any phone network and the cell phone companies cannot restrict that. And that's part of the new 700 megahertz auction uh, is there. So once that, that spectrum gets out there for the conventional cell phone as well as the high-speed internet business, everybody's going to have cell phones that can just go to any network. Uh, in those, uh, Google has committed, you know, about $5 billion to uh, that auction spectrum, wow. you know, that, that auction. And so a lot of the big phone companies have been fighting that because they want to dictate which phone you get and what, what's on your web page. Wow, so not just the iPhone, but any phone pretty much, like the, the yeah. cheap Verizon phone I have right now, that will, mm -hmm. I will eventually have the opportunity to pick what network I want to use. Exactly. And, and so that, that'll be just... driven by money? I mean, like, for instance, if I'm in downtown Lansing, I could click on your system, mm -hmm. the ACD.net wireless system, and that'd be a, would that be a free call? Yeah, yeah. Nice. And uh, what, what we're doing is doing the, uh, there's a thing called... Uh, uh, IMS, which is uh, Internet Mobile Systems, which is a method to have convergence across the cell phone networks and Internet-based networks. And so if you have a, you know, home phone, uh, you can, you know, swipe your cell phone by it. That guy grabs a number. You go to another phone, hook it up to your, your uh, office phone. That number follows you. And there's all back-end systems that are controlling that transportation of numbers. So... This Wi-Fi system supports that type of technology or the ability to be able to be a major, uh, you know, phone network as well as the Internet network. Yeah, sounds like and a pretty so, intuitive system then. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, a lot of that technology is still being tested out and ironed out and I think will be phased in over the next year. And the reason we built this is to try and get a substantial test bed. Uh, and we're putting in the latest technology. This stuff has not been deployed anywhere else in the U.S. Hmm. on any production networks. The product that we're using is not even announced yet. Uh, and so we are, we actually built a network about nine months ago, and uh, we have been testing it for about that, you know, until we just announced it about a week ago, and we made it open to, to you know, anybody who wishes to use it. Now, the mayor was saying uh, in the news media that the system would... Uh um, that there's a number of telecom companies around the country and maybe outside the United States that are going to be coming to Lansing to check the system out? Yeah, this is uh, something that the traditional telcos will want to probably implement, particularly in the major cities initially. And so it, uh, there's a lot of debugging to work on that to get it all running. But the, uh, since it's the only production network of this type, there's a, you know, a lot of international and large telecommunication carriers that are going to be coming in and taking a look at the system. Um, and we're, we're also planning on expanding it about another uh, you know, square mile and a half, two square miles, to get the entire downtown stadium district, where the new stadium district building is going and where the uh, minor league stadium is. And eventually our plan is to march uh, east down Michigan Avenue towards 127 and start covering the neighborhoods north and south of Michigan Avenue, all those households in there. So now when it comes to, to implementing a system like this, do you do you approach the city? Does the city approach you? Do they shop? How, how does that work? Initially what we did is we, we approached the city and said, you know, we, we want to deploy this technology. And, you know, we need some help to be able to get some, uh, you know, access to infrastructure and some buildings that are downtown. And, uh you know, that's that's kind of, you know, the good thing about it is it's a good deal for the city because it's going to be bringing technologists into this area in the trade magazines or the trade uh, press related to, you know, high-tech and Internet. This will be, you know, very prominent. 
And, oh, it's you know, a great tie-in with MSU yeah. having one of the largest telecom colleges in the United States. Definitely. Yeah, it's great. Exactly, and so uh, you know they were, they were very cooperative and supportive of uh, us deploying this technology, and and uh, uh, you know we're going to make it uh, available to visitors free of charge. Uh, you know they'll get X number of you know a week or two for free, and uh, so it's going to be something that we we kind of want to make it a, a somewhat of an attraction for downtown. Downtown Lansing, much like you know a lot of other urban downtowns, has been undergoing a rebirth. And there's a lot more people on the street. You know, you go down Washington Avenue, there's five or six different restaurants or bars that have, you know, patios. And, you know, so it's really starting to become a busy urban area. And with a, you got to have some new stuff to attract young people to buy, you know, lofts and, and condos and apartments that are going up downtown. And so I think it's a good idea, you know. I think having forward-thinking uh uh, governments mm-hmm. is very important, especially in you know a tough economy. Right. right. You know. Well, now, how how common is a, is a project like this uh, in, in other cities in the country? Uh, there's been a lot of municipal projects uh, that have been kind of trying to get off the ground, uh, and a lot of them have been you know partially funded by the government or partially controlled by governmental entities. Uh, we don't want to really want to be in the business of getting subsidized by you know government because we be- we believe. Essentially, this is a service people were gonna are gonna pay for, and they they will right. want to use it. You know, right? right. I mean, you know, this, there's syst- gov- big government systems. Wasn't there a big government system that collapsed in Seattle, one of the larger wireless yeah. systems, a few years ago? Yeah. In in our sometimes these things are new new technologies. You don't want to try and make a new technology. You got to kind of debug it and iron it out before you try to build an entire massive city like Seattle. Right. And so there's a lot of operating uh, things that you have to do. Are the units up and reliable? Are they stable? Or is there how much interference are you getting? So, our our goal was to take step one and take a baby step or a, a moderate size step and, and get a get a bunch of users on it and kind of collect the data and statistics we need in order to efficiently build the, the next phase. And so, the big bigger municipal systems have kind of fallen out of favor as of late. Um, and uh, I don't I don't think that. That model is going to all the well, good be. because you know government shouldn't be competing with with business. I mean, they, they, yeah, this is one of those cases where I'm, that's what's so cool that ACD is rolling this out. Yep. yep. But now there there are uh, some other cities that have have rolled out systems like this. I know San Francisco had had uh, concerns about uh, you know business competing with itself inside mm-hmm. the city for for different uh, uh, sort of the right to be the Wi-Fi carrier. I mean, how do, how do you see that, that problem playing out in, in cities? Well, I think the best way, the best thing for a city is to, you know, if if two people want to build a system or three people, well, that's even better, you know. There's no, you know, I think competition is a good thing. The more competition you have, usually the more choices you have. And if you don't like one wireless carrier, you're going to go with the other one. And so a lot of the municipal systems have said, okay, you get the monopoly to the infrastructure that's here, like the light poles or some of the building space, and then... You know, you have to go build it, and here's all the requirements. Well, it's 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 better to, have, in my opinion, just have more competitors. If somebody down the street wants to build a build a wireless system, I'm all for it. You know, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, probably there, learn, oh, excuse me. I'll probably learn some things from them, and they'll learn things from me. And that's competition, and that's what we want is just a, a free and open field for everybody to come in. So there's no restrictions on on. Uh, 
on our network or anybody else's with doing exactly what we're doing. And if that and if that were to happen, if there were more competition within Lansing, for example, uh, technologically speaking, is there a, a possibility of like conflict within the system between the systems or interference or anything like that? Not really. Uh, right now, what we're using is unlicensed spectrum on the two point four gigahertz band, which is typically used for all kinds of different devices. But they uh, they. Uh, there's 2.4 is a pretty large amount of spectrum. We're also going to be testing uh, a 4.9 spectrum on the system. There's a spectrum that is available for two, uh, for public safety, uh, police, and ambulance and, and city governmental use. So we're going to be testing that spectrum as well. And it uses the same Wi-Fi technology and same type of cards that you put into your laptop. It's just a different spectrum that's licensed only for the governmental unit. So we're going to be testing that out as well. Um, so there is always some possibility of conflict or uh, a device breaking and causing some excessive interference. But the way we've handled that is with a lot of overlap hmm. uh, of the of the systems. And there's numerous channels that are available on that 2.4 gigahertz spectrum. So if we need to ship to a different channel, uh, it'll send out a broadcast message. Okay, all laptops connected or all phones connected on this channel. Kick to this one, and you know. 2.2 seconds. Nice, wow. and uh, so it does it does hop that that those channels effectively. Now, you, you, the city, the city of Lansing staff, they were telling me that one of the thing, one just one of the things they're really excited about having massive wireless is they said this will now allow them, for instance, to have uh, like a like a printer in a in a fire truck. Let's say the police chief's fire truck. And, or the fire chief's fire truck, rather. And as he's on his way to a fire with massive wireless, he can have the blueprints to the building downloaded to his vehicle while he's on the way wow. to the burning building. Wow. I mean, it's, it's that sort of thing. I mean, it's uh, that's an extreme case, but with current systems, they can't. There's nothing right. that'll push that much data. Yeah, there's a lot of applications for uh, uh, broadband networks in municipal use, particularly with uh, law enforcement. For example, if somebody's taken, uh, you know, somebody is kidnapped or something like that. You know, right now what they do is they all drive back to the station, go pick up a photograph, and then go drive back out. You know, <laughs> right. and, not uh, efficient. <laughs> yeah, not real efficient. And so the, uh, you know, that's that's kind of the mode of operation. There's there's some real low speed networks that operate and kind of send text messages down to police cars, uh, you know, about items and issues, but it doesn't, it's not fast enough. It's like basically the speed of a uh, analog modem, a slow analog modem, and it's shared a bunch, a bunch of, so they do have some systems to communicate digitally back to the headquarters, but if you want to get an image or a picture or maybe there's a criminal or they got a, they got a grab, um, if, if, uh, if, if they got to drive back to the station, well, they, that may, you know, cause a lot of, uh, you know, critical time loss. Right, right. Certainly. And I'm sure, you know, hospitals uh, benefit from this, too. I mean, there's, I'm sure there's a lot of applications that, that people are pretty excited about. Have you heard from any other uh, groups within the city that are really looking oh, forward to this? Yeah, yeah. Um, we've heard from, a, you know, a couple of the uh, downtown uh, educational institutions and stuff like that mm -hmm. that have interest in uh, kind of unifying networks across the area. And so... Uh, we're looking into those types of projects. One of the disadvantages with kind of Wi-Fi right now is you may have it in the coffee shop, but you go down the street, okay, it's a different system. you got to spend re time reconfiguring. This is designed to be a, a unified system across numerous areas. And we also have little amplifiers that people uh, can get 
to put inside of their buildings to amplify it in, inside mm. of their house. And so it's like a little wireless repeater. It's kind of like, it looks like a little DSL or cable modem. And it's got a wireless repeater and an Ethernet port so they could do, you know, uh, a, a hardware connection to the Wi-Fi network as well. Um, and, and those little repeaters will, will uh, connect up to the big, big units that we have deployed and kind of act as aggregation points. Now those are actually, the system that's doing it, those are actually flying saucers hovering above Lansing. <laughs> well, actually, yeah. That's caused are, a big yeah, stir, right. too. Oh, sure. Yes, yes. And, yeah. and all the blimps you see floating around. <laughs> <you know. laughs> the big Zeppelins that everyone's been seeing. Mixing with with old on. technology with new technology, <laughs> yes. Right. yes. Well, now that actually leads me to my next question, then. So is it, uh, are, are there... In, in my head, it seems like there would be glorified routers plugged throughout the city. Is, am, I, am I wrong in assuming something like that? Or is yeah. it satellite? I mean, how does this work? Well, what it is is there's we, – what we do uh, is – the advantage with this system also is that it's electrically powered from remote. Hmm. So if a complete power outage occurs on the, on the power grid, these units stay up and operational. Obviously, they'd be important for law enforcement and security concerns and, and municipal stuff, but also, you know, users like that as well. Uh, so what happens is within a building downtown, we have broadband equipment deployed that injects the power into copper phone wires. Hmm. And it uses the ring voltage on the copper wires to uh, the amount of voltage that you're allowed to put on those wires to ring a telephone from remote. It uses that same electrical voltage to remotely power these units. Wow. And so uh, we have these high-speed uh, SDSL lines, and they're 5.7 meg per line going to these units, and we put in four lines in each one of them. And so they're electrically powered from remote. And it uh, makes them very reliable uh, and redundant. You have redundant power to these things as well. Hmm. Uh, and so it's really a really uh, really high-powered system built for industrial, metropolitan, outside deployment. A lot of the equipment other people have built have been has been kind of uh, consumer-grade equipment, slightly modified for metropolitan deployment. But these things are built to take lightning strikes, and uh, and uh, they're all metal and encased, and they're they're environmentally hardened. Uh, actually, in the beginning, when we started testing these guys out, one of the things we figured out was. We needed to put a little heater strip in them because when we started deploying them in January and February, it was zero degrees out, and we couldn't get them fired up. So they actually have a little heater module that heats up the unit for three or four minutes with the electrical power before it fires up the little board inside. Oh, so yeah. No, I'm sure that's necessary in Lansing. I, I believe it. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. You definitely have the harsh environment up here. Yes, right? so, yeah. so I've noticed. Yeah. Yeah. If you can make it in the Midwest, you can make it anywhere. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yep. Well, now... Uh, do you, do you see other cities like this uh, developing technologies like this in the future? I know you mentioned there's been problems in other cities like Seattle. I mean, where do you see the future of this going? What I see the future of it going is there was a lot of bubble to the Wi-Fi thing over the last few years. And so what I see people doing is kind of retracting and evaluating, okay, what do we really want to do and what size and scope of project do we really want to take on? Uh, and so... I think that the market is undoubtedly there. Uh, we're seeing that develop already in, uh, with British Telecom in Britain, where their phones, if you get a BT cell phone, if you go into your house, uh, since a lot of the houses have a lot of you know metal overhead and the reception may be worse, and uh, their, their phones actually right now today just kick over to Wi-Fi. So the back end mm -hmm. is already done and the software's already been developed to be able to do this. And so I think... 
uh, I think having multiple multimedia going over these things, you know, phone and internet and, and, and some video streaming uh, is, is going to be the future of these types of networks. That's fascinating. I'm, I'm, I know I'll be looking forward to using this when I'm uh, downtown and in Lansing, uh, you know, have it going to a coffee shop or something, you know. Is the Mac you have right there wireless? It is indeed. I've got one too, similar to that. And mine, my, my Mac just immediately jumped on the network and it was up and running. I mean, there was no configuring. I just clicked wow. on, uh, well, the ACD uh, logo just pops up, and you just click on it, and with with Max, and yeah, just search for the network. Mm-hmm. And what you'll do is uh, you'll see that network there, and you just click on that, and then it'll take you to a little registration page. The uh, put in a username and password, and then you're done. That's all you need. Now, see, on mine, Kevin, I just I just opened up my my Mac, and it was on. Oh, okay, yeah. There's a there's another. Uh, uh, Network and we can run multiple um, sessions on these devices. So we're we're going to run one session for secured access, one session that you have oh, a web-based web page login, and there's another session that you can just pre-type in your username and password. So if you have a cell phone, you don't want to necessarily you know try and figure out how to put your username and password on a little phone. You just pre-program it in there, and so as soon as it sees the network, boom, it's boom, kicked it's on. on. Yeah, nice. And you pre-program it right within the. Uh, laptop card so we set that up that if you see that network it'll say acd.net secured uh and then the other one is acd.net web access i see and the web one is where you got to type in username and password through a web page to get through okay so the future sure is fun to live in i'll tell you that <laughs> yeah definitely. Um, well we've been speaking with uh, joe ross and kevin shane from uh, acd.net uh, talking about making lansing a wireless city i want to thank you gentlemen both for being here uh, and if you want to learn more about it, uh, go ahead and surf on over to ACDnet, excuse me, ACD.net, yes. or uh, dial up uh, 517-999-9999. Is that, that the right number? Yeah, that's a real phone number, that's too. The, that's, yeah, <laughs> hard to forget that number. Yeah. Uh, well, again, gentlemen, I want to thank you both for being here, and uh, we will you. be back with more uh, Impact Exposure. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact. Smoking Helpline. Yes, I need to start smoking right away. Excuse me? I need to start smoking. Well, actually, it's the Stop Smoking Helpline. The people in the apartment next to mine smoke three packs a day, and it drives me crazy. So I'm thinking four packs will do it. I think you want MySmokeFreeApartment.org. It gives you the information you need to work toward a smoke-free apartment building. A smoke-free building? Without all that? Smoking. Uh, yeah, that's right. Make your apartment smoke-free without making a stink. MySmokeFreeApartment.org. When you get up in the morning and turn on the radio, you don't want to hear those other guys talking on your way to work, do you? You don't want to hear talking. You want to hear music. So here at The Impact, we are making you a promise. We're calling it the More Music Mornings 89-Second Pledge. We, The Impact, pledge that every weekday morning from 8 to 10 a.m., we will shut up and play music. We pledge that we won't talk for more than 89 seconds at a time, meaning more music all morning long. We pledge that every caller who requests a song between 8 and 10 a.m. Monday through Friday will be entered to win a great Impact prize. And we pledge that in return for your listening to us, we will listen to you and play more music that you want to hear. So tune into the Impact for more music mornings. Let us know what to play, and maybe you can win some cool stuff. Only here on 88.9 The Impact. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact. Phone lines are open at 432-3893. And now, back to Exposure. 
This is the Impact Exposure. I want to thank you for rejoining us. Uh, we just spoke with uh, Joe Ross and Kevin Shane from uh, ACDNet talking about making wireless, excuse me, making Lansing a wireless city. Uh, we're going to switch, switch gears now and speak. We're speaking with uh, Terry Terry from uh, the Old Town Lansing Jazz Fest. I want to thank you for being here. Happy to be here. And uh, first, uh, get right underway. Could you tell us a little about what the uh, Jazz Fest is all about? Well, you know, we started at Music Festivals in Old Town. 1994, our first Art in October Fest, and in 1995, we did our first Jazz Fest. This makes our 13th Jazz Fest. We also do a Blues Fest in September. But uh, we started these projects, uh, these these festivals, with the idea of you know bringing some attention to the Old Town area. You know, back then it was kind of a, had a, I'll say a not great reputation. Sure. It uh, was kind of run down, boarded up buildings, and all of that, but. Things were beginning to really, you know, gel with some of the artist studios and so forth. So we thought, well, let's let's do something fun. We got some radio stations to get involved with us, and we put on our first festivals. Excellent. And it really took off. It brought people down to buy buildings and set up businesses. And, you know, today we've got, I'd say, tens of millions have been invested in the area. And this is, you know, this is the roots of the city. Uh, it's the... Uh, Historic center. It's uh, we have the largest concentration of historic commercial ba- buildings in the city is in Old Town. Mm-hmm. It's along the River Walk and along the river. It's a cool area. That sounds like a pretty uh, pretty cool event. Um, now, uh, I'm sure folks who are uh, regular listeners of the Impact will know that we have a, a jazz show here, the Jazz Spectrum, and uh, folks that may be listening to that and listening to this uh, might be wanting to know who who could they be expecting to uh, hear at the Jazz Fest. We have a really great lineup this this time, and I'm just really delighted with some of some of them, in particular uh, Mose Allison, who we have for both nights. And I began listening to Mose Allison a long time ago, but he is uh, often referred to as the missing link between blues and jazz. Came out of the Mississippi Delta. Um, just about every, you know, I don't say everybody, but most everybody's played him from John Mayhill, uh, the Who, the Clash, Eric Clapton, Yardbirds, Elvis Costello, Bonnie Raitt. I mean. He's witty. He's, his his lyrics are pretty pretty interesting. But he's a pianist, a composer, a ranger. Plays with a trio. Two of the guys he plays with are out of Detroit. Um, but it puts on quite a show. Wow, that's a that's, a, that's your that's your headliner for, that's, for that's both, both nights. Nice. Wow. But we also have uh, Sunkwa, which is a uh, Kofi Maye is is out of Ghana. So we have uh, some of the you know African roots of jazz. Being represented here, and they're also doing a workshop as well. I think I think that's on Saturday. Uh, we're bringing back Ritmo, who haven't played I, th- I think in four or five years at least, but a uh, Latin salsa jazz group. Uh, first time that we have a vibraphonist is it's the Jim Cooper Quartet, uh, Two Smooths for Notes, the Neil Gordon Quartet. Um, we've got a number of uh, jazz uh, guitarists too this year. We haven't featured that so much in the past, but Gary Allen is playing and. Uh, then uh, Organissimo is a great, you know, just great organ group. I mean, you know, the, I don't know, I don't know what more to say about them. But, <laughs> but you know, um, also we were doing something different this year. We have uh, the Lansing All Stars and the Lansing and the Jazz All Stars playing Friday and Saturday night, which is a mix of people. But Mike Scorey is one of them, Ed Smith and Lisa Smith. So we're closing out with some pretty fun, excellent, fun people. I'm sure. I'm sure some uh, local Lansing jazz uh, aficionados are. Definitely going to recognize some of those names. 
Um, now, of course, jazz a pretty a pretty broad genre. Um, what what kinds of jazz can people expect to, to hear? I know you mentioned well, jazz guitar, which is something well, I'm not too familiar yeah, with. Yeah, you know, our our goal is to really provide. Um, you know, uh, let me go back to our mission, and then I'll then I'll just explain the, the if I forget, remind me to go, go to the jazz <laughs> right. uh, spectrum there. But the mission of the Old Town Business and Art Development Association is to catalyze revitalization of the historic area of Lansing. And by focusing on uh, community development, uh, preserving historic buildings, but most importantly, nurturing the arts by providing venues for artists. So we have uh, the Banyan Art Gallery and, and uh, Studio 21210 are two of our galleries that come under the umbrella of Old Town Business and Arts. And then we do the Jazz Fest and the Blues Fest. And we've just started out stage 1210, too, at 1210 Turner Street. So, and, and kind of the, the umbrella notion is that uh, we're trying to create an open space in our community where people can come together, make some friends, meet some new people um, in, a, in a safe, creative environment where we can together kind of think about and envision how we can make this a better community. So that's our, you know, our, our over, overarching mission, mostly focused on through the arts. So for Jazz Fest, getting to your question, <clears throat> excuse me, um, we offer a variety of jazz styles. So you'll have fusion, bebop, you know, free jazz, classic. You know, we really try to do that. But in addition, um, we have invite musicians who are really still making their music. So we call it living music. So we're not, you know, bringing people in who have, um, you know, like a cover band type stuff. We just we don't do that. In fact, we we do. We ask, actually ask every group to play something original in the sense that something they've never played for anybody before in a new arrangement or an original tune, first-time performance. So if you hear 12 or 15 bands of jazz fish, you're going to be hearing stuff that no one's heard ever. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's definitely living jazz, I, I, I must right. say. That's right. um, now, what, this is your, your 13th, is that right? Yeah, amazing, isn't it? it is, well, it's impressive. Uh, what, uh, how have you seen it change over time? Well, we started out with one stage, okay, and uh, you know, uh, maybe four or five hundred people that turned out. But you know, now we're up to ten thousand or more. I, I, I don't know the exact count, but we have three stages: mm -hmm. uh, two on Turner Street, a north and south stage, and then one by the river. Which this year we moved even a little further uh, to the um, along the river near the fish ladder. There, we have a fish ladder in Old Town, and, uh, and we have a vendor area for you know food and other things. So there's you know, there's plenty to eat down there. And another thing is, um, you know, all the shops, most of the shops are open in Old Town, so we have great boutiques and restaurants and so forth. So the festival does bring people in, and it uh, lets people know what we've, you know, this great treasure we've got in Lansing. Certainly. Now, uh, what, in addition to just the music, I'm sure you've got other other great things going on at the uh, at the Jazz Fest as well. Well, we have a number of workshops going on. So Happen Dance and the Children's Ballet Theater doing some workshops. Um, Mike Daniels does a drum clinic Saturday at, I think it's 2.30, so we're going to get some jazz drum stuff happening there. Uh, Sunqua is doing a workshop as well, so that's those are some of the additional things happening. Um, I should probably mention the website too, right? Oh, certainly. Jazzlancing.com. And by the way, for those of you that are not familiar with Mose Allison, I would suggest going to his website, which is moseallison.com. Is that M-O-S-E? M-O-S-E-A-L-L-I-S-O-N. Excellent. So, yeah, he's, uh, 
I, I just can't speak highly enough of Mose Allison. I'm just ecstatic that he's going to be here. Certainly worth something to check out before uh, going to the Jazz Fest, I'm sure. Yep. Uh, there's also a, a beverage tent, I understand. Yep. Uh, we And you were nice enough to bring along some uh, complimentary tickets uh, for us to give away. So, uh, folks that are listening, if you're over 21 and would like uh, to uh, grab a pair of tickets, be sure to give us a call. The number here is 432-3893. Uh, I'd be happy to help you uh, help hook you up with some of those. But, again, remember that you must be 21 and over to, uh, to win those tickets. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that. Well, this event is a no-cost event, so you can hear all this music. Yeah. That way, excellent. And uh, the other, the other thing I want to say is that uh, our stages are, you know, we've made an effort to um, really make this a great community party, you might say. So the stages are very intimate; they're right on the street. Um, you get, you can get close to the musicians. You have as a backdrop the beautiful historic buildings. The acoustics are great. So it's not like going to a concert in a big hall or or stadium or something like that. This is really out there. Yeah. Now, Old Town is like a, a very great location, I found. I, I, w- I went to the um, Festival of the Sun and Festival of the Moon just a little while ago. And, yeah, just right there on the water. It's a great scene. Uh, but now, why why is Jazz Fest in Old Town versus somewhere else? Because we're the ones who started it, I Excellent. guess, s- simply. You know, we we were... You know, way back when we started doing some things, we we had a, what was called a snake rodeo in the early days, which we had music on the street and art on the street, and all the artists were asked to submit something that had some snake imagery in it. And you know, snake's a symbol of transformation and change, and that's that was partly what was behind it. But um, actually, I would uh, I got together with Lynn Perino from um, WLNZ, and we put together this idea of doing a jazz fest uh, after we had done the first Oktoberfest, and and the others on the committee um, got together, and we said, yeah, let's try it. And I remember building our first stage, and we did it with you know two by fours, and <laughs> it was pretty crazy. It's your bare hands, huh? That's right. Excellent, and it's for sure grown a lot since then. I mean, just from uh, some folks with some two by fours, it seems. That's right. Well, you know, this event happens because we've got a great set of volunteers, a great group of volunteers. There are about 20 people that are the core group that meet every month year-round to put it together, both this Jazz Fest and Blues Fest. And then it takes hundreds of volunteers at the events really to make it happen. And it's, you know, we're always kind of bust at the seams when the crowds get big. And, of course, we've got some good sponsors that help us out, you know, and cover some of the costs of this. So who's been helping you out then, sponsor-wise? Uh, Flagstar Bank's been pretty steady. Um... Cooley Law School, the um, MSU Federal Credit Union, the Adams Outdoor Advertising, the Michigan Council for the Arts and Cultural Affairs. Hmm. Cultural Affairs. We've got um, half of our grant, but at least we got you know something from the state of Michigan. Certainly. Um, First Creative Services, uh, Van Adams Greenhouse and Flower Shop, Scory Auto Sound. I mean, those are just naming a few of them. Certainly. But, certainly. Sounds like you got a lot of support from the, from uh, right in the community, though, yep. and definitely from uh, from MSU as well. I have to That's right. sort of throw that in there. Uh, being a great the, uh, MSU student radio here. Um, now, I, I was looking on the uh, on the website uh, jazzlansing.com. Uh, I, I've noticed that it's dedicated to the memory of uh, Robert Busby. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm not familiar with the name. Uh, would you tell us a little bit about why well, and who he was? Robert? You know, we sometimes refer to him as the mayor of Old Town, but you know, he passed away unfortunately uh, this past uh, winter and. Um, when I my, when I first came to Old Town, I met Robert. I bought the building next to him, hmm. and he had what was called the Two Doors Down Gallery, and uh, was a big supporter. He was on our initial board when we started the organization, 
and dedicated. I don't think I saw a day went by that I didn't see him out in the street doing something with one of his buildings, you know, with his own two hands. And uh, so we thought it was an appropriate thing to do to recognize all that he has done for Old Town. So we're having a jazz, not only are we dedicating the event to him, but we're having a jazz brunch uh, where he'll also be recognized on Saturday at starting at 11. Mm, could you tell us a little bit more about the, the brunch? Well, the brunch, uh, which you can find out more about, you can either at the Banyan Gallery or 371-4600 or go to the website. Um, there's a fee to that event. But uh, we've got Chef Carl Goodies Catering doing it, uh, champagne, live music. The mayor of Virgin Panera will be there. Mm. And uh, a number of poets, um, Sam Mills, Rulane Stokes will be there doing some pieces. So it's a great event. And, and we have an art auction that goes along with that. Excellent. So it's sort of a precursor to the event then? Well, it happens Saturday, actually. Oh, on Saturday, the I'm sorry. But the, the, the idea behind that is to really help <clears throat> as a... Uh, Fundraiser for the Banyan Art Gallery, a nonprofit gallery hmm. in Old Town. So, all of this is is done by volunteers and it's and nonprofit. Excellent. So you know we're, we're trying to you know bring great art to the community, have an opportunity for artists of the community to show their work, both visually and musical artists, and um, and do it on a shoestring. <laughs> <laughs> it's the most important part, I'm sure. Now, uh, folks that might be interested in, in volunteering or getting involved in that, what, how can they? How can they do? They can that? go to the website because there's a place to sign up for volunteering there. Also, they can call three seven one four six zero zero, and there as well. Um, what I, one thing I probably should mention is that try to get there early because parking, you know, it's it's oh, free sure. for all. You know, there's yeah. there's some public parking there. There's parking along the streets, but as the day goes on. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah, I think we all know how that goes. Plan to walk, but that's that's what's cool about this. You, know, you get to any other big city, and if you're going to a festival, you, you tend to walk a little bit. But it's, sure. they're great neighborhoods to walk in. Well, it's great to have that many people show up too. I mean, I'm sure right. you may be cursing the parking situation when you're there, but I'm sure it's nice to be able to yep. to see a big turnout like that. Now, um, it's sort of a more broad uh, question for you. Um, uh, what what sort of role do you see the the jazz fest playing in sort of the Lansing art community? Um, it's, it's, I would say that in the, in the Blues Fest as well is, you know, keeping the music alive in the community and providing an opportunity for, you know, our local regional musicians to play where people can see them and get introduced to them, where people can get in touch with a variety of styles of jazz and blues. Um, and these musicians have an opportunity to play on the same sta stages as some of the, you know, major national artists as well, so... Um, I think, you know, both, both with visual, I've, I think I've traveled to like 70 countries now and I always go to, you know, hear concerts and particularly go to art galleries and this community has incredible talent. Uh, we seem a little isolated and, you know, how do we get the word out about what we've got here? Well, this is an attempt to do a little bit of that and to celebrate the quality of the arts that we've got here. Certainly, yeah. You know, and I, I hear people complain about, oh, there's no, there's no music scene here in Lansing, and yet, you know, we have events going on like this. You yeah, know, there's there's so much going on in this town. This is a great community. The air is clean. It's, you know, it's safe. Uh, yeah. There's all kinds of stuff going on through the university and the um, state government. I mean, it's, it's it's a great community. I I don't have time to go out and do half the things I'd like to go to. Exactly. Yeah. I know? mean, you just kind of throw a stone. You can you know, find a great show or great uh, you right. know festival every every weekend. You know. Right. And no traffic problems in Lansing. Exactly. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> right. Maybe maybe uh, right around the vicinity of Jazz Fest. Yeah, uh, but this beyond weekend, that, but yeah. other than that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now um, the uh, 
the, the Jazz Fest itself, uh, you mentioned that there's the, the beverage tent, there's there's great food going on and things like that. I, I just kind of want to explore a little more about what sort of things people could could be experiencing. You mentioned some workshops as well. What, what sort of things people could be doing in addition to the, um, great music? The um, Oh, actually, there's something else going on I wanted to mention. On Friday night in the River Stage, we have jazz karaoke happening. Jazz karaoke. And i got to tell you, I don't know a lot about that, but okay. I think it's going to be kind of interesting. So I think people are going to be able to get up there and participate yeah. in, the, in any way, you know, whatever ways they want to. So <laughs> so that's that's something new that we haven't tried before. Um, you know, Mike Daniels is really, you know, uh, you know a great drummer, and his clinics, uh, he's going to... Um, and Dick Johnson is going to be on uh, acoustic bass, but they're going to pr- perform some jazz tunes and talk about the drummer's role in jazz music, and they're going to demonstrate stick work, brushes, techniques, and so forth, and, and give the audience a bit of education. Um, and uh, Sunqua, um, they use an instrument that's called the jeel, I believe, and mm-hmm. their workshop's going to focus around that and, you know, and bringing in African music into the mix. Excellent. Wow. So, yeah, it sounds like you've got quite a mix of uh, not just different styles from here within you know the United States, but then right. others as well, which I, I find kind of interesting because people talk about jazz being, you know, an organic American sound, and yet it seems like it's, well, it's spread to other countries as well. It, well, actually, no. The, I mean, some of the roots, I mean, well, I'll tell you a couple of stories, but uh, sure. come out of, out of West Africa. So some of the roots of jazz are, you know, traced back to, to West Africa, but it is an original American thing, mm-hmm. um, and something else that's unique about jazz is that it's, it's, I would say, the most democratic music form because you have improvisation going on as well as you know a team or a group of people working together to create a sound, and that back and forth is kind of unique in jazz. So there's structure and yet freedom at the same mm-hmm. time. Um, but I can tell you a story about um, how much time have we got? Can oh, we got a few minutes. Go for it. Um, well, how jazz actually spread throughout the United States. Mm-hmm. Around 1917, I don't, I'm not sure exactly on the dates, but um, the in uh, New Orleans, in an area called Storyville, um, the sailors would get off the ships in New Orleans and go to this area called Storyville for you know, wine, women, and jazz and music. And uh, the admiral of the navy was having a problem getting people back from shore leave, <laughs> so he went to uh, Josephus Daniels, who was the secretary of the navy who went to President Wilson, who uh, issued an edict that basically um, took away the shore leave, which meant that sailors couldn't go there, which meant that places started shutting down, which meant that musicians were out of work. And what did they do? They got on the trains and they went to Kansas City and Detroit, San Francisco, New York, Chicago, and that's how jazz spread throughout the U.S. Oh, I see. So, so they sort of took so, that with them. So the, the people who shut it down actually were responsible for causing <laughs> it to migrate throughout the country. And that's really oh. how that, because it was just a little pocket where that Dixieland and um, jazz stuff was going on at one time. It was just in that one little region. Huh. So that's, that was a major stepping stone, I guess, in the, in the spread of jazz throughout this country. Certainly. And then from there spreading on to a lot of other music forms that we know today as well. Yeah. Yep. Uh, it's very interesting. Um, so right around what time was that, that taking place? I, I want to say around 1917. I didn't right. have to go back and do my 
book work to know exactly you know how that worked out. But yeah, oh, it was around that that's time. really interesting. Wow. Well, we've been talking with uh, Terry Terry from the uh, Old Town Lansing Jazz Fest. I want to uh, thank you for for stopping by and telling us a little bit about the event. Uh, the event is uh, this weekend, uh, August third and fourth. Uh, that's Friday and Saturday, right? Correct. Down in Old Town Lansing at the intersection of Turner Street and East Grand River Ave. Uh, i got three stages going on uh, this, this year and a great lineup from, from what it sounds. Uh, if you want to check out more information, they have a website at uh, www.jazzlansing.com or uh, give them a call at uh, 517-371-4600. And if you're interested about the, uh, the brunch that we, we spoke about as well, there's a number of two... Uh, Make reservations for that. It's three seven one one four five four. Again, I want to thank you for stopping by, telling us about the uh, Jazz Fest. Uh, we will be back with uh, more impact exposure in just a moment. Thank you. You're listening to Exposure on eighty eight point nine The Impact. For some high school students, school can be a dangerous place. A lot of gamers look at you as a game member too. For some. Just being in school can be a struggle. I wouldn't go to school. I didn't care about what my mom said. My mom would tell me, like, what are you doing for yourself? You're not doing nothing. But despite all the obstacles, inside every high school student is a graduate. People look down on you if you don't have a diploma. I want to graduate because they say I won't. Go to BoostUp.org and find out how you can help a friend, a son, a daughter finish high school. BoostUp.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ad Council. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Tuesday nights from 8 until midnight, the Impact's progressive torch and twang brings you the best in alternative country and grassroots music. Only on Impact Primetime. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9, the Impact. Phone lines are open at 432-3893. And now, back to Exposure. I want to thank you for uh, joining us again. Uh, we were just speaking with Terry Terry from the Old Town Lansing Jazz Fest. Uh, we're going to switch gears now, and we're speaking with uh, Ron Dooley by phone. He's here talking about the uh, Lansing Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation Walk. Uh, Mr. Dooley, are you there? You know, I'm sorry. I don't have uh, <laughs> a way to hear you. I, ho- I hope you are there. I hope the audience can hear you, but I'm uh, sort of without... Uh, a way to do that. Uh, we're going to have some technical changes. One moment here. There we go. How, how about that? Can you? Uh, can I? How's that? That's much better. Sorry about okay, that. Great. This is my my first uh, phone interview on the radio, so I want to thank you for bearing with me on that one. Great, great. Well, thanks for having us. Well, certainly, it's it's a pleasure to have you. Uh, first of all, could you tell us a little bit about the uh, the, the walk? Sure. This is uh, our third year that we've uh, held this walk for uh, Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation in uh, in East Lansing and uh, at MSU. Uh, the uh, the first walk was with uh, Coach John L. Smith and uh, was a very successful walk. Uh, initial walk raised ninety thousand uh, dollars. The next year we raised uh, last year two thousand six we raised one hundred forty six thousand dollars. And this year we expect to uh, raise over 180000 And uh, this year we have uh, MSU head football coach Mark D'Antonio as the honorary chairman. So we're, uh, we're really excited. Wow, excellent. Well, hopefully you'll uh, be able to top even uh, the last couple of years' numbers as far as what, you've, uh, what you're bringing in. Well, we're, we're sure trying. Hopefully this, you know, hopefully we get uh, enough people out there, too. Um, now, uh, you said you've been doing this for about three years. Is that right? This is the third year. This yes. is the third year. And how, okay, have you seen uh, this this walk uh, change over over that time? I know you mentioned the the numbers you've been bringing in, but in what other ways? 
Well, uh, you know, it's, it's, there's an awareness of this disease in the community that's growing. It's a, uh, a juvenile diabetes, type 1 diabetes, is an autoimmune disease, uh, different from type 2 in that it usually strikes very young uh, children. That's why they call it juvenile diabetes. Any, anyone from, uh, oh, as young as three or four months, we just had a, a little baby at Sparrow diagnosed, and mm. uh, uh, up to the 20s typically. And what, what happens is the, uh, the pancreas stops producing insulin. It shuts down, and insulin is not produced uh, to co- uh, convert uh, carbohydrates uh, and sugars into, uh, into the muscle energy that's needed for us to, to live and survive. And, uh, and uh, most uh, everyone who is afflicted by this disease must take numerous blood tests daily, up to 8 to 10 pricks of the finger and uh, t- to uh, measure their glucose levels and take uh, insulin shots uh, four or five times a day. Hmm. Uh, there's, there's been progress, though, in, in the research. Uh, one of the things that uh, has, has been developed over the last few years is an insulin pump that allows insulin to be uh, programmed uh, uh, with, some, uh, uh, with the help of some software in the pump to, uh, to allow uh, the person to not, not take shots with a needle, but... Uh, the pump uh, will continuously uh, uh, administer insulin as needed. Hmm. Uh, the, the, the latest uh, uh, project that's being worked on is the artificial pancreas, which is a, uh, a blood glucose monitor that is implanted under the skin that will transmit glucose readings to a pump, and the pump will in turn... Uh, Administer insulin as needed. So, so there's a, there's great advances uh, being made. Many of these advances with the help of the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation (JDRF). Excellent. Now, you, you mentioned earlier the, the different types of diabetes. Uh, what what's the biggest difference between uh, juvenile diabetes and, and adult uh, diabetes? Well, type one, as I said, is is uh, is where the the pancreas stops producing insulin, mm-hmm. and it usually affects young people. It's an autoimmune disease. Right. Type two, and and there are approximately three million people in the United States that are afflicted by uh, type one diabetes. Hmm. Type two diabetes uh, is the far more prevalent disease that affects over seventeen to twenty million people in the country, and uh, some of it has to do with uh, a lifestyle. In other words. Uh, uh, eating the wrong foods, overweight, uh, uh, you, you lose the ability of the pancreas to produce correct amounts of insulin, but the pancreas typically is still functioning uh, at various levels. So people can take oral medication sometime. Many times they can take an oral medication to, uh, to help uh, ameliorate this disease. Whereas the type 1, uh, there is no pancreas. It's, it's gone. Oh. So, uh, um, it, it's it's very much more uh, severe uh, form of the disease. I see. So it sounds like there's there's definitely been some advancements made, but there's there's still a lot more work that could be done. Absolutely, absolutely. Hmm. And and hopefully the uh, the, the walk was, is is a good way to to raise some necessary funds for that as well. Um, 
Now, the, the, the walk is uh, this Saturday, uh, August 4th, is that correct? That's correct. The walk is uh, uh, at the Michigan State campus. Mm-hmm. Uh, registration starts at 8.30 a.m. The walk begins at 9.30 a.m. And, and our location, the walk, will begin at uh, Spartan Stadium. Uh, everyone knows where the big MSC smokestack is, Michigan State College smokestack, the old power plant. Oh, Absolutely. We are right on the lawn by the Michigan State uh, uh, Michigan State uh, College stack, MSC stack, and uh, right next to a Spartan Stadium in parking lot 79, and we'll have, uh, oh, lots of fun for the kids. We have, uh, this year we've got over 750 walkers registered. We've got over 65 walk teams. We're going to have food and entertainment. We're going to have a band, Frog and the Beef Tones. We've got a rock climbing wall. We've got a moonwalk. We've got face painters. We've got uh, entertainment. It's it's a great happening. Wow, that sounds yeah, it sounds like you've got a lot going on. Oh, it's a great happening. You know, uh, and and of course we got Michigan State football players there. They're reporting back uh, uh, for uh, camp this fall, and uh, we're going to have quite a few players there, uh, along with the coach. And you know, coach says. He's got it marked on his calendar. You guys make sure you're there at this walk. <laughs> he's, he's been very supportive. Coach D'Antonio, can't say enough about him. Excellent. Let me mention the corporate chairman is uh, Kurt Brown. He's the Lansing uh, chairman of uh, Comerica Banks in the Lansing area. And uh, Kurt has been very instrumental in, in gathering corporate support for this walk. Excellent. Now, what sort of corporate support have, have uh, has he raised for, uh, for the walk? Well, he's he's got, of course, Comerica Bank is is a very big supporter. Uh, some of our corporate sponsors are Douglas J. Uh, Douglas J. Uh, Salon are uh, they are a uh, presenting sponsor. Tri-State Hospital Supply Corporation, Howell, Michigan, is a presenting sponsor. The Dart Foundation is a gold sponsor. We have WLNS TV and Emrick from. Uh, WLNS is going to uh, talk at the walk, hmm. and Sherry Jones has been very supportive, uh, the anchor person on uh, WLNS Channel 6, uh, but Sherry's on vacation, and Ann is going to fill in, and then we've got Comerica Bank, and we've got uh, KLKL Cult Rider Investment uh, Consulting Group of Wachovia, A.G. Edwards, Blue Cross Blue Shield, Delta Dental, Lansing Board of Water and Light, Let's Bridal, Mercantile Bank. Saturn of Okemos and Sparrow Health System, CADA, the uh, the best bus system in the country. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, classic travel, Indian trails. Uh, you know, we we just got great corporate support. We're very excited for these people. Well, that's got to that's got to really make you feel good about uh, getting something like this together, and you can get that kind of community support together too. The community's been great. You know, Wes. Uh, you know, the Michigan economy is struggling, but uh, you know these these folks step up and. Uh, just respond, and, and uh, the walk teams are great, and we're, we're so grateful and, and so happy. Well, you know, I've talked to folks who, who have events like yours going on, and that's the thing I've always found is that when there's something really important going on, you know, the, a community is always there to, to help bring it together. Really, and in fact, the JDRF uh, national folks tell us this is one of the fastest-growing walks they've ever seen in, in the country nationally. Wow, the one here in Lansing? Yep. Wow, that's yep. amazing. Well, now, now, there's two other ones we sort of compete, you know, friendly competition. Of course. One in Warren, uh, sponsored uh, by the uh, the GM Tech Center, uh, uh, prime sponsor, and there's one in Ann Arbor that 
is very successful. And, and there's also one in Grand Rapids. And we're the latest. We're the baby on the block, but, boy, we're starting to move up to the top. It sounds like you're growing fast, absolutely. We are. We're, <laughs> we're excited. Now, the, the walk is uh, a mile and a half. Is that right? Mile and a half, exactly. Excellent. So that's uh, not, not, uh, hopefully not too strenuous for a lot of folks to, uh, to handle. No, it's, uh, you know, it's by around the MSU campus. We start at the uh, you know, Spartan Stadium by the power plant, walk around uh, uh, the, Grand, uh, the Red Cedar River there through Beale Gardens, uh, you know, uh, over the bridge and back. It's great. We're going to have water and refreshments, and, uh, you know, it's, it's just a great time. Beautiful. Lots of kids. Um, you, can, you can bring your pets. Uh, no bikes. And, you no, know, you gotta, no cheating. <laughs> no cheating, but uh, yeah. come on out. It's 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 a fun happening, and actually, it doesn't last all day. It's over by eleven thirty. Excellent. So yeah, a good way to start your weekend, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, what what sort of folks do you find uh, typically come out? Are these folks that have been affected by diabetes, or or, or, or who who do you usually see showing up? Well, you know, the the core people are uh, uh, people that have uh, a loved one, relative uh, affected by diabetes. You know, it's, it's an insidious disease because what happens is, as you age, it affects many of the organs in your body, and unless you take care of it, you can, you you can lose limbs, you lose your eyesight, uh, you can you can die an early death. Unfortunately, yes, it's, yeah. it's not treated properly, and uh, so the, we've had. Uh, you know, lots of good successes, but there's sadness, too, and, and the folks that are affected by it are the ones that are the core supporters of this. And then, of course, uh, people that they know uh, know about the disease uh, because of, you know, somebody's son or daughter, and, and they, they're supportive, and it's, it's just a community effort. Certainly. Yeah, now, now is this one of those sorts of uh, illnesses where early detection makes the difference in the end? or, or Because I know that we're, we're talking about juvenile diabetes. Is, is that one of the, the key factors? Unfortunately, you know, the recent research with uh, genome research is if you can determine that you are predisposed to this disease, there has been some early research to stave it off. Hmm. But there's nothing in place right now. It's it's very preliminary. How, uh, unfortunately, there is early detection. All it can do is perhaps prevent you from going into a coma and spending many days in the hospital. Wow! Uh, because once you got it, you got it, and and unfortunately, it's not something you can outgrow. You have it for life. Hmm. It's it's not something you can treat. You can't have an operation. You can't. Uh, you know, you just can't take a pill. Uh, it's it's yours for life, and that's that's the the nasty part about Certainly. it. Certainly, yeah. Well, for the rest of your life, and blood testing. My one of my close friends I grew up with has uh, uh, had it. He got it when he, in his twenties. He's now sixty five, and uh, he's been very lucky. He's uh, he's taken care of himself, and he's one of the lucky guys. But you can get him shots for him. Forty years, he's sticking a needle in himself. Wow. Well, uh, now I'm sure there's folks that are listening that uh, have been affected by this or may may have the, the condition themselves. Uh, how can they get involved? Well, the the, the website is uh, jdrf.org, mm -hmm. uh, and you can click on that, and and it'll steer you to uh, the the link for this walk. There's there's many walks all over the country. You know, click on Michigan and so forth. It's easy to walk you through it, and. Uh, we, we have all the information online, or you can call Deb Wallace, uh, the coordinator for this walk, at 
Where's her phone number? 248. I should have it somewhere west. I have down uh, 355-1133. Is that, uh, does that sound right? That sounds pretty good. Okay. All right. <laughs> it's a 248 area code. Certainly. Yeah, that's that's what I've got down. Well, that's right. You we're, got uh, we're approaching the end of the hour here. I want to thank you for, uh, for giving us a call and telling us about the Lansing Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation Walk. Um, that's going on August 4th. Uh, registration start time, 8.30 a.m. Walk start time, 9.30. It's only a mile and a half right around the University of Washington campus. Uh, everyone's meeting up right by the Spartan Stadium by the big uh, smokestacks. Uh, Ron Dooley, I want to thank you for, for joining us today. Thank you, Wes. We uh, appreciate talking with you. I uh, appreciate you calling up. This has been the Impact Exposure. Uh, we're going to switch gears now and head over to Progressive Torch and Twang, easily one of my favorite shows here on the Impact. Uh, again, I want to thank you for listening. This has been the Impact Exposure. Thanks for listening to this evening's Exposure, only on 88.9 The Impact.